So I've been uh, spending a lot of time in the studio. And last time I spoke, I was talking about following the thread as a metaphor. And in the studio, I've been watching my mind. And, uh, and I hope you can follow the thread as I watched my mind and what arose in that time. So August 30th, uh, 2023 is a super moon, a blue moon. Yeah. And um, I wasn't even sure we were gonna see it tonight. Uh, last night it was spectacular and it's, it's hopefully it'll be good tonight, but um, it's been really warm here too. And then it started to rain and then it started uh, thunder and lightning and it was a little frightening uh, around that. There's been a lot of thick uh, smoke from the fires. There's over 400 fires in BC right now that they're uh, managing or trying to manage. And so we have some red sunsets and um, today was the first day that the air was clear. So gratitude for that. And uh, of the 400 active fires in BC, the 11 of them are on the island. So um, yeah, that's what's going on up here. But none of the fires are close to us. We are surrounded by trees. Um, the, the earth is parched and crispy dry. Um, so hopefully no more, uh, no more uh, thunder and lightning. And so I'm weaving that in because it's a full moon and it's a super moon. And on the back of my rakasu, Patrick wrote, moonlight swallows moonlight. And I wanted to investigate what moonlight swallows moonlight means and um, swallows up is a metaphor for taking in comprehending digesting composting and it's very similar to the teaching in uji being time where the world is worlding the world and it's it's sort of like you're just in the midst of worlding the world, just similar to the um, moonlight swallowing the moonlight. Mm -hmm. It's the activity of the world and the relationship and interconnectedness. And so I thank you, Patrick, for reminding me that the moonlight swallows the moonlight. <laughs> And it, it drew, drew me to investigate uh, Dogen's teaching. It's uh, number 43 in the True Dharma Eye. I read three different versions of it, and it was really interesting to see how different each of the interpretations were. So in the one version, it says um, Buddhist metaphor for uh, the moon could also be a metaphor for innate Buddha nature. And I hadn't thought about it until that was there, that 
the moon could be an innate Buddha nature, the moon of our original nature. So we could substitute Buddha nature for moon. And in the in the true Dharma eye, it says the th the true Dharma body of the Buddha is unbounded, like empty space. It reveals its form by conforming to an object, like water reflecting the moon. The ultimate reality described as being like water reflecting the moon may also be expressed as the water and its moon, the real water, the real moon, the hundreds of things sprout the myriad forms, and they are the real Dharma body of the Buddha, and they are the moon in the water. So there's two other ways to look at this. The Dharma body of the Buddha has two characteristics. It's like unbounded space, and it is unbounded space. So there's like unbounded space and is unbounded space itself. Further, all things that arise and manifest themselves have three characteristics. They are like the Dharma body of the Buddha. They are the Dharma body of the Buddha. And they're reflections of the Dharma body of the Buddha. A little bit different. The moon of our heart and mind is solitary at the fullest. Its light swallows up all forms that arise. Its light is not something that illumines concrete objects. When its light and object both vanish from sight, there is still that which is the what. The mind is the moon. The moon is the mind. What is not the moon? And then there's a whole other story about sun face Buddha, moon face Buddha, and um, every activity at this moment is moon activity, swallowing and spitting out, digesting, composting activity. So I'm working in the studio and I'm kind of filtering through processing the moon getting ready for talking about the moon. And um, I'm dyeing fabric, and it's all about the process, all about the play. And, um, and a friend asked me, so what's your concept? <laughs> what's your concept, and what's the narrative here? And I really got stuck because I'm just playing right now. And the freedom and the spaciousness of no concept is um it's kind of like freeing but it's also unexplainable i can't formulate what my concept is so there you go and at the same time um i i came across my bedtime story is always the new yorker magazine and um what comes to mind when I read The New Yorker is that Catherine used to sit on the floor before we had tons in the Zendo. We would all sit on the floor in a circle and she would read to us from The New Yorker. 
and uh, Jean remembers that he's nodding here so um, I have really fond memories of her talks about what she read in the New Yorker so I'm going to share with you something that kind of ties into this and the story I read was about storytelling and um, in this article it says stories boost production of cortisol encouraging attentiveness and oxytocin encouraging connection so when Catherine sat on the floor with us those two things are going on I think the stories shape and share the past but there are also erasures and absences and so my question is what is the alternative to some of our storylines can we give up our storyline let go of our story and in Zen we're encouraged to let go of our story right and um, in this article <laughs> they talked about Scheherazade in a thousand and one nights mm -hmm. and um, she she was supposed to only live one night and then the king was going to kill her because that's what he did he only had one night with his his new wife and then he killed her and then he had another wife so she kept telling him a different story and he never knew what the plot was or where it, it was going to go or what was going to happen and so he kept going on a thousand and one nights so I thought oh I haven't read that in a really long time I'm going to get that book right, and, and read it so I got the book and it wasn't there at all like that it was like two pages and it just said she died after you know one night so somebody <laughs> rewrote the book over and over I mean this is a very old Arabian night story and yet over time the story changed I was very disappointed I just got this yesterday <laughs> <laughs> but the article um, also referenced in terms of storytelling a, a little uh, book for like three-year-olds called good night moon anybody familiar with that one good night moon yeah so Margaret wise Brown was convinced that children didn't care much about the plot when children ask for stories what they're asking for is the presence of an adult so um, to me that's like the pro process of meeting and fully being met that's what the essence of storytelling is is conveyed but who writes the narrative mm -hmm. and what does that story not allow us to see <clears throat> so uh, going on in this article uh, Virginia Woolf had uh, a narrative about dark matter and she named it non-being and this is this is interesting because it's it's a little twist on what we see as perhaps non-being every day include she says every day includes much more non-being than being contains a large portion of this cotton wool 
this non-being cotton wool. I'm trying to be inside that very instant without spilling over into the before or the after. Wow. Very different perspective on non-being. And she writes in this article of storytelling, B.B. King had grown up in Mississippi and he observed a lynched black man hanging from a tree. He stayed silent and he felt a lot of hurt, sad and mad, but I'm thinking the silence was probably a way of protecting himself, you know, was within the context of the situation. Um, he, sta he stayed silent. He didn't make a sound. And um, don't make a sound. And what he, but he acknowledged though, was a lightning grief in his body. And he picked up his guitar and finds notes, not words, but he finds notes to express and contain the meanings. Not one meaning, not one tone as an explanation. It allows contradiction, dissonance, doubt, pure eminence, movement, and an open road. So that led me to another part of Dogen, and that is your very mind is Buddha. So Soku Shin Ze Butsu. Soku meaning here and now. Shin mind. Ze is Butsu, Buddha. So the fascicle is your very mind is Buddha. Your very mind. My mind is twirling and going from here to there in the in the process of making and to say is that mind buddha <laughs> your very mind as buddha is not referring to a personal self not from the standpoint of the intellect but from the standpoint of practice about practicing the way not cognitive or intellectual conceptual well it could be part of its conceptual right but that's not the kind of buddha mind he's they're referring to here it it's uh discriminating between suffering and pleasure cold or heat pain or desire based on causes and conditions and i think um that's another way of saying big mind big mind is that mind not the small self um although the small self is included in the big mind but it's got some unbounded spaciousness beyond birth and death of phenomena the true self the buddha nature the original nature which kind of goes back to you know the moon and it points to our mind as buddha the awakened mind the nature of mind your mind this moment is buddha thoroughly explored when a person fully realizes what mind really is 
Not an inch of solid ground exists. The mind is the coming and going of the wind, the sun, the moon, all the stars, the mountains, the rivers. The mind here and now is Buddha. And Catherine wrote in The Truth of This Life, a, a chapter called This Very Mind is Buddha. So realizing you are, are Buddha is a very sobering experience. This wasn't exactly the Buddha you had in mind when you came to practice. <laughs> you were looking for another Buddha. Yet at some point we come to realize the Buddha body we are seeking is inside, not somewhere else. Take the backward step and turn your light inward to illuminate yourself, says Dogen, in Beyond Thinking. Illuminate the mind that doubts itself, contradicts itself, equivocates. Illuminate that mind. That is the mind of reality itself, actualizing itself. Practicing the precepts begins with acknowledging my ordinary mind manifestations. Mazu's realization that this very mind is Buddha brings forth the mind of humility. When we realize we are Buddha, we find everyone else is too. Our practice is to actualize what we really are. And then following that chapter in, in the book, there was one about noticing our storyline. So it feels like I was just in this loop, in, this, in, the, in the way of thinking. Catherine writes, as Dogen expressed in UG, in being time, our existence is not separate from our tie. ties. Each moment is the fullness of our being, the fullness of our time. Even those moments when we're distracted, disinterested, in wandering mind, even those moments are 100% of our actual life. At those times, we can see our life as moments of being half awake. And all those moments, even the so-called half awake times, are completely our full existence. So... I followed my thread. I noticed those half-awake moments, those unclear, unexplainable, can't put words on it, doesn't have a concept yet, <laughs> but there's a lot of play. So following the thread from the studio time, considering our practice as an enactment, this mind, this being time, being awake, being half awake, and wanderings are completely our full existence. And I remember uh, Catherine one time saying, I can't believe I have all these mundane thoughts. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, I do too. And, and what led 
me further, which I think is another conversation in the true Dharma eye, is there are 108 gates of realizing Dharma. <laughs> I felt like this is just the beginning. Yeah. So, that's really all I have, unless you would like to comment, thoughts, questions. Patrick. Well, I know that uh, the captain would never have uh, allowed uh, being half awake. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what do you think uh, Dogen means when, when he says, uh, you know, half awake is also the, the, the fullness of the whole works? I think it's our human condition. I think it's the noticing that you're half awake. Mm -hmm. It's the human condition to sometimes go, oops, I, I didn't follow the precepts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> go back, look at that. You know, look inside, what's, what's going on here? Um, why am I being half awake? Or am I noticing that I'm being half awake? Mm -hmm. Or I just stepped on something when I had a conversation with somebody. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, I, that, that that's where I usually go with it as well. And, uh, speaking of moons, you know, I, I always like quote about the moon is always full. a lot bit flummoxed when I hear teachings on something so ephemeral as the thread and where it goes and where it comes from. It always throws me off my story. Well, like the other day, I was laying in bed at a nice hour between 5 and 5.30 in the morning, and my brain was starting to wake up. And um, it dawned on me at the end of about 30 minutes that every single thought that went through my mind was completely self-referential. And I was absolutely shocked that that didn't go on just for half an hour. 
that is probably the majority of my awake time. Everything, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna eat? When do, when do I go to the office? What, what do I have to do about that particular project? Um, everything is self-referential, which puts me at the center of the universe in my mind. And to come out of it, when I hear your talk, feels like it's a long, long way, but it always is, isn't it? Thank you for that very good reminder that I am not at the center of the universe. Thank you. And you're always connected, even if you don't feel it all the time. There's that's the thread of connection, right? Yes. You're not alone. There's always the thread connecting us. Yeah. Oh, Ziggy. Thank you, Edie. Um, I really appreciated the reference to storytelling and what is it that we're longing for in the narrative of the other as we go through a day or a week and we're constantly listening to or telling the story of what's going on in our lives and yet really what's at the heart of it is not so much the story but it's the intimacy. It's someone's really listening um, I'm being heard, someone else is being heard. And this practice has and does give me um, kind of the tools or the, I don't even know if it's tools, just a way to be in a story, but not of the story. Or I'm not sure how to explain it, but to just be drawing closer to what really is at the heart of what everyone is longing for is to know that interconnection. And it just brought back some sweet memories for me of, you know, reading Goodnight Moon to my own kids and kind of mm -hmm. like, yeah, that is what it was about is someone leaning right up against me, you know, more than the story itself. So, uh, I just want to pay attention to that. Because, my gosh, the world is so full of stories and drama that everybody's yeah. going through. And I like what Mary said. It's, you know, so much self-referential, you know. If we're not talking about ourselves, other people are talking about themselves. So what are we doing for each other? Yeah. How, in what way are we accompanying one another? Yeah. What part of the stories are important? I, I'm, I'm going to follow that thread. Thank you. Yeah, what's important and what do we leave out? What do we leave out? Who gets erased? Yeah. I can't tell you how upset I was when I when I got this book. And it was totally Scheherazade just died, you know. It's like what? <laughs> I mean that's like the worst thing.
Um, so this thing with the light, um, you know, uh, again, yesterday, It's a little hard to hear you. Uh, I just wanted to share um, briefly that um, the this guy she talked about how um, he taught Dzogchen, and he said that even light is illusory. So as you're talking about this light, honey, it's cold down. I've got to go to the pet smart. Okay. Okay. I'll be back. Oh, Shakti, do you have a way to mute? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just been hard to hear you. Oh, go ahead in the living room. So, you know, the light is all pervasive and the void, the darkness is all pervasive. It's kind of like a yin yang. Um, but I, I do find it kind of fascinating that form is emptiness and emptiness is form and, and darkness is light and light is darkness and these ideas of reflection. Um, can you say more of, on the Buddhist um, experience of reflection, you know, with the moon and the water? Is there anything that comes up for you when I ask that question? Well, I, I'm thinking of moon and a dewdrop, you know. And that's the whole, the, the book, Moon in a Dewdrop. So is the moon in a dewdrop reflecting, is that any different than the moon up there? And that's like the three characteristics that I was referring to. So um, three, rather than the uh, spaciousness of uh, the Buddha, but um, the three characteristics, they are like the Dharma body of the Buddha. They are the Dharma body of the Buddha. And they are reflections. So it's all three. It's all three. They're not really separate. Can you, can you see them as not separate? Um, the moon in our heart right? The moon that we see in other people, that's the Buddha. If you, um, if you say it as Buddha nature, and you replace the word the moon, and you say Buddha nature, can you see that in everything that you see, that you feel, that you touch? It's not separate. I think that's what it's pointing to. And then, and then it says, the light is not something that illumines concrete objects when it's light, and objects both vanish from sight. But there is still the what. So there's the, the, the spaciousness, the boundlessness of Buddha nature in everything. And it's not conceptual. It's not conceptual. It's like it's our practice, right? It feels, very, um, it feels very elemental. I mean, this concept of 
the moon being in the dewdrop. I mean, they're both earth elements. And then you have this light quality that everything emanates. Like when you're talking about it, I can just see light on everything shining off of people's bodies and the computer and the screen and the windows and the, um, I mean, light is always playing. It's like a play of, I don't know what it is though. I don't know what light is. It's not really an element. It's kind of this etheric experience. Yeah. It's very magical in itself. It is. I think that's why the, the Sufis and the spiritual people like ourselves, we love light, you know? It's so uplifting. It's not scary. It's spacious. It's boundless. Yeah. All pervasive. Mm -hmm. All pervasive. Yeah. Yes. I think all pervasive is the is key word there. And it supports us. It supports us when we see the world that way, the spaciousness around it. I, I find it supportive. And I don't take it literally because when Dogen wrote this, he wrote it as a poet would write it. So you have to take it in as if, as if, you know, and then you have to digest it. What does it mean in my life? How does this get expressed in my life? And then how, how do I, express it to others it's a process just like being in the studio is a process and it's a joy is did um beata have her sashin already yeah. ease and joy yeah <laughs> And how was that ease and joy? It, it, was, it was very nice. It was, it was nice being with her. Yeah. Um, and speaking of light, she, she said that um, love is luminous awareness. Mm. So she brought light into the conversation as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think just having clean air today for the first time in a couple of weeks was, you know, you, you forget, like amnesia. Uh, so much of what went on in 2020 with the bad air in September, and I think Ziggy evacuated, right, in the middle of COVID. And the there's amnesia that goes around with something like that you know when things are so hard you erase some of it yeah hopefully you can pass it on to the next generation for people that weren't there but um that's part of the storytelling uh the storytelling what gets erased what do we want to forget what do we we don't pay attention to you know um i don't think it's so there's a lot of emphasis in zen about giving up your story and i think there's 
there's something about holding on to or investigating your story not not just letting it go but there's something else about going down deep and i think judith regeer talked about that so it's investigating and going going in the other direction what is this story about there's some value to that Liz. Hey, Edie, thank you for the talk. It was really wonderful. And I'm wondering about the magic of the studio that gives no conflict. Ooh, and so much freedom. Uh, what, what, uh, what happens? Well, it's a process. And I'm investigating. And I'm playing. And I don't know where it's going. And um, there's a lot of space around that. And uh, a lot of joy and a lot of ease. And I'm feeling really full. You know, like um, sometimes I eat and, eat and I'm not thinking in my body. When I'm in the studio, I'm feeling so full. There's a fullness to it that's in my body that uh, that's right there in front of me in my body in in the moment and no before no after and you can't make it happen it's sort of like a, a gift maybe maybe it's the the truth that we're witnessing that you're witnessing that all all the uh, all the beings have real Buddha nature: the fabric, the dye, the the liquid you're using, the air, the, the just everything is so full, it's so alive, and you're living the interconnectedness, maybe. Yeah, and and every day is different, and the temperature, the the mix of chemicals. I mean, it's just you know some in some ways it's unpredictable and i love that <laughs> yeah thank you yeah sandra in the terms of stories i think uh the telling of stories uh, listening to each other's stories is really a service. I find that sometimes I just need to tell a particular story in order to be healed from it. And uh, so that's just what I was thinking of in terms of stories, just being heard, just telling my story sometimes to someone else in the presence of someone else just having it's really a blessing just to be with someone that's willing to listen to my story mm -hmm. I, I feel healed by that and maybe it's just the same as some something that happens when a parent is telling a story to a child it's really not so much about the story itself 
but just being with someone else. Yes. And and I really get that when I'm working with people in grief support, the witnessing of their grief is really healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, Shakti. Yes, um, is uh, where I'm. I'm understanding as I'm exploring up and see, and that it's about really just being there to listen, being a good listener. is really what it's about, and and that I think is what bridges that gap where we start to feel interconnectedness because when when we get isolated or we don't feel heard or we just feel alone we 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 forget that we are interconnected and so i feel like that is such an important piece of, of just being being in our body is to know that that this is you know we have a separate because that's just how it works you know we have to have a vehicle to move around in the world and and then we forget that that connectedness is really goes much deeper than than our little individual vehicles. Anyways, that's kind of like some of the ideas that I've been thinking a lot about as I as I die in this. Um, I sitting with people who are in very difficult times and how to you know, like he said, sitting with people in hospice is something I've been, um, I'm thinking about doing, and and just you know how to just be a witness, and how that is really fulfilling a, our deepest needs. I think you know, and probably anything else, you know, besides like. Basic sustenance to stay alive, but it is to just not feel like we're alone. Yeah. Um. So I I feel like a lot of things came up for me with this what you were talking about. Yeah, and we're not alone, and it's a good reminder that we're not alone. You know, when you're feeling lonely, there's a there's a difference between being alone and and feeling lonely. You could be in a big crowd and feel lonely, but if or you could be alone and not feel lonely, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I feel really connected to the birds out here. The bunnies, the birds. And when the thunder was happening, everybody, all beings, just paused. You know, it wasn't just human beings pausing. It was just like, what just happened? Yeah. And they help each, the birds help each other. Different species help each other. They send, uh, they send, uh, different kinds of uh, sounds to each other to alert. I mean, it's just, uh, you're not alone. If you can even just be with the birds. Yeah. So, one more question, Corrine, comment. I have read Good Night Moon so many times to the children that I used to work with. And I want to tell you, I used to long for the great green room. But I wished I had had a great green room <laughs> with the fireplace and, and everything. <laughs> uh, but as far as um, storytelling itself and listening, I read quite a long time ago that when there is a common story and or just engaging alone with a story, you let down your guard. You're more open to receiving the story and the fantasies that may go along with it. But um, in a group, I think uh, that openness, that connectivity, can uh, be felt, be sensed more, and that uh, can, you know, satisfy us in a way that um, listening to our own story can never. Uh, and um, like Sandra was saying, um, Lots of things become possible when you're listening to a story that you wouldn't ordinarily think that way because you're not in that mind. Like the cow jumping over the moon. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so I was kind of riffing on it in that way. Yeah. I love stories. I listened to... Um, program on NPR Saturday evening, uh, every every Saturday or most Saturdays. And they're short stories. And they're read by prose. And they are delightful. Just delightful. So thank you. Yeah. They are they're they're I've been thinking of uh, making a book out of fabric. I don't know. I don't have a concept, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's like a tactile part of making books. I don't know if you've had um, cloth books for kids that when they're real little. <laughs> but anyway, that's where my mind went. So.
So I think that is it. Do you want to close with beings are numberless or did you want to make announcements first? Let's close. <laughs> okay. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. And Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.